So I wonder this morning, if you know, what is the downfall of most relationships? What is it that causes rifts in between people? What is it that causes some of the worst arguments in marriages? Perhaps what is it that causes rifts between friendships or even at work, maybe between coworkers, between your boss, employees? Well, if you've paid attention, it comes down to communication. Most arguments can be traced back to something that just wasn't communicated clearly enough. Doesn't communication break down so easy? I mean, I mean, it does. You just assume the other person knows what you want and, 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 and they don't, so they're just taking a stab in the dark. I mean, why take shots in the dark if we don't have to, right? Well, why can't we just communicate a little bit more clearly? Married guys, wouldn't it be nice if you just knew what your wife wanted? Right? I mean, it would be, some of you are like, no, but that'd be kind of scary. <laughs> no, I don't think I could handle that. I mean, it would be nice if you could just have a, uh, have a clue, right? Because sometimes they'll say, well, you know, this is what I really wanted you to do. And you're like, wow, I, I was not even close on that one. But communication comes down to it. Now, I'm not talking about the times when it's super obvious in your life. Like guys, when we're laying there, you know, coming to us, watching football, and our wife's trying to do other things. And they're like, you know, I could really use some help here. And you're like... You know, now, I'm not talking about those kind of times. In my family, um, I am the one who does most of the grocery shopping. And so when I get home and I open the trunk and I go to get the bags, um, first of all, you know, you come in with about 10 on this hand and 10 on this hand because you don't want to make another trip, right? And so you walk in and all I desire, all I desire is just a little bit of help putting the stuff away. Sometimes I'll come in and I'll just passive aggressively look around, you know, or I'll sigh. <sighs> like, isn't that the most archaic thing we can do, right? Just like to sigh. Uh, and I'm like, you know, yeah, yeah. in my head I'm thinking, yeah, I got it, <laughs> don't worry, you know. Uh, or, or doesn't anyone care? And instead of asking for help, to my shame, sometimes I'll spout off. Don't worry about it, I got it. Sit down there, relax, I got it. No, 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 no bother getting it. I'm good, it's good, it's good, I'm good. That doesn't usually go over well. When really, what my wife will say is, why didn't you ask for help? Communication breaks down, right? I don't know about you, those of you who are married, but the hardest times that we have had in our marriage is when we're simply not communicating. And then we finally sit down and we have a proper conversation and we go, ah, why don't we do that sooner? It would have been a whole lot easier to get through whatever rough patch you were in. You know, it is easier to meet someone's expectations when they are clearly laid out, isn't it? This morning, we're going to be jumping back into Colossians. And what we are going to receive is a very clear communication. We're not going to have to guess. We're not going to have to take shots in the dark. We're just simply going to need to read and respond. So today, as we get back into the book of Colossians, I just want to uh, briefly catch you up. This is our third uh, uh, installment in this series. Uh, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul. Yes, it's a book, but it's a letter that he wrote to the church of Colossae. They were a relatively young church from a very small, seemingly insignificant town. And Paul is writing to them to encourage them. Because there were heretics. There were false teachers all around them. And what they were doing is they were distorting the truth. And trying to influence the church negatively. Of course, Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, wanted to do his best to make sure that they were not taken away by things that just seemed 
okay, they kind of passed the okay test, but in the end, it's going to be detrimental to their health. So he is writing to them. He is thankful for them. He's thankful for their faith in Jesus Christ. He's thankful for their response to the gospel. We talked about the gospel at length. And, and that gospel means good news. And they've heard that. They've received it. They've responded to it. And in the introduction to this book, we were challenged to be thankful for that good news. But not to just be thankful and internalize it. But to be thankful and share that good news in all things. And then the last time we were together, we were in... Two verses, really it was a verse and a half, kind of an odd breakup. Uh, but we were in verse 9 and part of verse 10 in chapter 1. And we saw that Paul was praying for the Colossians. Which is also my prayer for you individually. My prayer for us as a church is that God will continue to grow in our lives. In our knowledge of God. And we will grow in our wisdom and in our understanding. And not just to grow, but to be made full. And we talked about what that means. To be made full is, is that we are controlled by what fills us. As believers, we are filled by the Holy Spirit. We should be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So that we will take every opportunity to please God in all things. That's what Paul was telling them. So he's going to continue to answer a question. And the question is this. How do we live a life worthy of God? How do we please Him? So there are going to be four participles, which will drive our discussion this morning. There are four ING words that really, if you look at this passage, it lays it out absolutely perfect. So Paul wants to make very sure that his communication is on track. That it was clear. That there's no way that anyone reading this letter or hearing it read to them could go, man, I, gee, I wish I knew what God wanted me to do. Gee, I wish I knew what pleased God. They don't have to take shots in the dark because it is going to be right in front of us. Paul is going to point out to them and to us this morning that it is clear, black and white, and in front of us. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, it will be up on the screen uh, on either side of me. Verse 10, so it says that, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And by the way, it looks like it's starting in the middle of a sentence, and, and we are. What was happening before that is Paul was praying that they would be filled with the knowledge. Why? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. That's where we ended. The next thing is he's going to start the four participles. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So number one, okay, I've taken notes. Number one, bearing fruit. That means as a believer, you and I, we are meant to be productive. It's a beautiful metaphor that Paul uses to tell us that our faith will be made known through our actions, right? Notice it is not the actions or the works that does the savings, but it's the action that proves what we believe. It proves our faith. That is what we do proves what we believe. Paul loves to use this word fruit as he used it ten times in his letters and four times to refer to the fact that we are. We're supposed to be growing and bearing fruit. And just in case you thought, oh well, uh, this is just a one-time fruit thing. Like I can be fruitful by just saying I put my faith in Jesus and then going on living however I want to live and do whatever only brings me pleasure. See, the phrase here is in the present tense which refers to continual action. We are to exhibit continual fruitfulness in our lives. This, is, this, this fruit that is to be shown in our life is supposed to be consistent and constant and ongoing and a continual thing. But what does he mean by fruit? Paul, as we stated earlier, he's used this metaphor before. And I'm sure you are familiar with this passage. In fact, uh, this next passage that we're going to read uh, is found in Galatians chapter 5. Our men's group last semester went through Galatians chapter 5. And when we hit this, and it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Verse 22 in chapter 5 of Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we can't spend a lot of time here. Because this is a separate sermon in and of itself. I mean, you could do a sermon on each individual fruit here. At least I know my dad can. My dad likes to really get in there, right? Um, but when we read this list, it should do a few things. One is it should cause us to do some internal investigation. It should almost be like a mirror, right? You look at the, the, that and, and you, you look at that list and you should go, how am I doing? How am I doing with these, these fruit? Am, am I growing in this fruit? And some are going to be, you know, we, we have the fruit. And some of, them, some of them are going to be more or less, depending on, on where we are in our life, right? But we should want to be stronger in each fruit, right? I mean, shouldn't we want to be growing? I mean, why wouldn't we want to be growing? We should be growing in love and in joy and in peace and continuing uh, to grow in that patience and kindness and so on and so forth. After all, if you think about it, if you look at that list, Think about it this way. Hasn't our God been all those things to you? I mean, think about it. Has He not shown love to you? Unending, unconditional, unfailing love? Hasn't He given you joy, as, as, as the song says, unspeakable joy? Hasn't God, get this, hasn't He been patient and gentle with you? I know He has with me. Isn't our, good, our God good and kind and faithful. That, those are all the things that He is to us, and therefore, that's what He desires from each one of us. But what an undertaking, isn't it? I mean, what a big chore to be able to do that list, to, to be good at all that. Doesn't it seem impossible? Like, there's no way that you can do this. No way that I can accomplish all this. It's just simply unattainable, and you would be absolutely right. But here's the thing. Look at it closely. It's the fruit of Jim? No. The fruit of why? No. What is it? It's the fruit of the Spirit. And in the Greek, it's a genitive of production, which means it's fruit produced by the Holy Spirit in you. You feel like it's impossible on your own, and it's because you're right. But thank God, you know what? We don't have to rely on our own inevitable failings. We will fail. We will fall. But our God never fails. We rely on Him. These fruits are produced by His power in and through us. That is an amazing truth that we can stand on this morning. That bearing of fruit speaks of that growth. That's what fruit does, right? It, it, it grows, but that fruit that is growing, it takes time. Listen to what Warren Wearsby says about this. He says, God must make the worker before he can do the work. God spent 13 years preparing Joseph for his ministry in Egypt and 80 years preparing Moses to lead Israel. He goes on to say, Jesus spent three years teaching his disciples how to bear fruit. And even the learned Apostle Paul needed a postgraduate course in Arabia before he could serve God with effectiveness. See, a seed that is planted does not become what it was meant to be overnight. It doesn't become what it was meant to be without time, without energy and effort. And by the way, gifts of rain and sun right from the Almighty God. So too the fruit in our lives, it takes time to grow. And in time, it will come if we are faithful. And the production, by the way, is not meant to be just a little. God doesn't say, you know, I want you to just be a little fruitful. Just do enough, just enough to get by, just okay. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 8. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Jesus said, no, not just a little. I want you to do a lot. 
That means a lot of fruit, not just a lot of fruit, but it speaks of the volume of it, the size of it. Guys, I want you to bear grapefruit, large fruit. It's not meant to be fruit that is just okay. I, I can, I can kind of get, 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 get by with this. I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing average. I don't, I don't know. Who wants to live like that? Who wants to live in an ordinary life when things are just okay? You're putting in just enough effort just to get by. No, Jesus tells his disciples, you will prove who they are and who they live for by the amount of fruit that they produce. Peter speaks of this very same fruit in his book. 2 Peter 1, 5-3. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, Apply all diligence in your face. Apply moral excellence. Your moral excellence, knowledge, and knowledge of self-control and perseverance and godliness. And then he says, for all these qualities, he says, these qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the qualities of a believer, of a true believer. These fruits, they will grow, they will increase if we remain faithful. So he says, number one, you've got to be bearing fruit. Number two, the next ING we will be finding is in verse 10, and that is increasing in knowledge, or at least that's the way that the New King James Version, the New American Standard puts it. But I like the clarity of the NIV. Why? Because it said growing. Growing in the knowledge of God. We're already there. We already understand the agricultural term. We're, 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 we, we, we get it. It's the same term, by the way, used in the Gospels when Jesus says, look at how the lilies of the field grow. Mark 4, 8, seeds fell onto good soil and they increased. They, they were growing. Once again, this term is in the present tense, meaning ongoing action. And it's vital to the belief, uh, the, the, the life of a believer. And Paul wants to make it obvious to us, as he will use this word four times in this letter, as we're going to see, to the Colossians, and even two times here back to back in these verses. The question is, how does this happen? How does the knowledge grow and, and what should I be doing to cause this knowledge to grow? Well, first of all, it starts by being in the Word of God. Peter writes in his, in his book, chapter 2, verse 2. He says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. See, the Word, God's Word, the Bible, it should be part of our daily diet. It's the milk of the word, the meat of the word that is nourishment to our souls and to our minds. Now, those of you with kids, you understand when they're little, the doctor wants to see them every year, right? For some reason, when we get a little bit older, we, we kind of lose sight of that until we get a lot older. And then we're like, oh, things are failing, so I should go back to the doctor every year, right? But as kids, they're supposed to go to the doctor every year. For our children, our two children, uh, it, was, it was imperative that that happened. They were both, as you know, born premature. We won't get into all those details. Um, but the doctor wants to see them. And she wants to know how they're doing. And so the doctor will ask your kids questions that you would rather answer yourself. Like, what, what are you eating at meals? And you're like, oh my goodness, what am I feeding my kids? Well, I ate nuggets and fries, and right? I mean, and you're like, oh my goodness, okay, we gotta get more fruit, we gotta get more fruit. And so they, they, he's just, they're, they're, they're checking up on it. They wanna know how they're doing. And then what they do is they end up measuring them, right? They will measure their head, they'll measure their height, their height and their weight. Why? You can respond. To see how Yeah. Are they growing? Are they growing at a speed that is appropriate for their age? Are they growing? Don't you feel we should have some spiritual checkups from time to time? 
Are we growing or are we stagnant? Are we not growing at all? Shouldn't we have this? Shouldn't we be? We shouldn't be afraid to ask the tough questions. Are we growing? Do we long for the pure milk of the word, the meat of the word? You know, that's one of the ways you can tell if you are growing, by the way. Psalm 119 says, oh, how I love the law. This is the word. It is my meditation all the day. Do we long to be in God's word? Do we even, do we even want to be in God's word? You know, that's one of the ways you can tell, okay, am I, am I growing? The other way is, you know, those around you will, will clue you in. See, as you're in the Word, as you're reading and you're meditating on it and studying on it, there is something happening. All the while, there's this growth happening on the inside. But it shouldn't just be on the inside. It must be shown on the outside. It's that experiential knowledge, right? See, others should see what we know, what we understand, our growth. They should see it reflected in our life through our obedience. 1 John 2 says, by this we know that we have come to know Him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, yeah, I've come to know him does not keep his commandments. He's a liar. The truth is not in him. People will see what's going on the inside because it's going to come out. They should see it in you as we continue to grow in our knowledge of God. I hope you see these statements. They're, they're, they're going to continue to build on each other as we reach the end here. Paul is going to start right. He, Paul's, he says, you know, I'm praying for you that you will know and love God, that you will live a life worthy to please God. How are we going to do that? Well, it starts with bearing fruit. It continues with growing in the knowledge of God. And if you are doing all of those, then the one thing that will happen, verse 11, you'll be being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Be strengthened. This speaks of continuous empowerment. It's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians when he says, you know, I can do all things or I can be content in all things. But where does that power come from? Well, it comes from God. This is what uh, John MacArthur says about this. Is the measure of that power is according to his glorious might. Glorious is from the Greek word doxa and refers to the manifestation of God's attributes. Might translates kratos, which refers to strength and action. It refers to God 11 out of the 12 times it is used in the New Testament. The power available to us, to you and me, is the limitless power of God himself. See, it's by him, it's through him. But that power doesn't always come in ways that we expect. See, when you think of, of, of receiving power and gaining strength, you, you probably think of just getting the strength to, to get through a situation. To, to just simply survive a situation. Man, if I can just survive the situation I'm in right now, then I can get to the other side and then I can really start living. If I can just survive this, 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 this terrible time in my life, whether it's a hard time in your marriage or financially, some sort of crisis, if I can just survive it, get to the other side. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul chooses his words very carefully. He says that we will be strengthened by God so that we will have great endurance. Some of you are familiar with this word endurance. The Greek word is hupomone. You've heard me reference this before, no doubt. It is from the, the, the word hupo, meaning under, and monet, meaning to remain. So that is to remain under, which doesn't sound a whole lot like just getting through something and surviving. When you go out to a restaurant, I, I love it when I'm given free things. Most people know this. 
Um, so, like, I love the Mexican restaurants. I get free chips and salsa. And, you know, you go to Italian restaurants and you get free bread. And it's like, just keep them coming, you know. And, and you, you fill up on all those. You take your meal home. It's, it's, it's a sickness, I know. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the bread. At the Italian restaurants, they, they, they bring it out and they bring in some olive oil, right? They put the tapenade in there and, 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 and it's, it's all yummy and good. That olive oil. Do you know the process of making olive oil? Have you ever looked this up? It's, it's, it's quite fascinating. It's, it's pretty in-depth uh, also. Uh, once you get beyond the actual planting, growing, harvesting of the olives, you have to extract that juice from the olive. How does that happen? It happens by pressure. Not just a little bit of pressure, but a lot of pressure. Crushing pressure. And oh, by the way, that pressure doesn't just happen once. The pressure happens, it's made into paste, and then it's pressed once again. But there's a reason for it. There's a purpose for the pressure that that olive is under. That olive needs to remain under the pressure so that it can be all that it was meant to be. See, it's not until that pressure is applied that you truly see what that olive could be. We all experience pressures in our life, don't we? You may be sitting here today and you're like, yeah, boy, don't I know right now I am in the pressure cooker. Difficulties, trials, it all happens. And our goal as followers of Christ should not be to see how quick we can make it through that pressure or to simply survive the pressure, but to remain under that pressure so that we may grow and be all that God desires us to be. See, it's under that pressure that our spiritual muscles will grow. You will never grow as much as you do when you're under pressure going through trial. You don't often see it that way when you're in it. But you come out the other side, if God allows, and you realize there was work being done. There was muscles being built, and it's only on the other side of that pressure or trial that you can see that. So our goal should not be just to get through those hard times just to survive, but to remain under it for as long as we need to. We need to hold up under that weight. Paul says there will be power there to help but also to help us remain patient as well. These two words, endurance and patience, are closely related. As John MacArthur points out, uh, endurance um, and, and patience, he says, are closely related. If there is a distinction, it is that endurance refers to being patient in circumstances, where patience refers to patience with people. How many times a day do you get impatient with somebody? I mean, you know, we just came out of the holiday season. You know, stores were packed. You know, you, 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 you might get to the, the checkout line of the grocery store and it's like eight people deep and the, the person's trying to, you know, have a, a have small talk up at the crash here and you're like, oh, sweet, oh, just keep, let's, I, I gotta go, I gotta get home, I gotta do this. You, you, you get in traffic and you're like, okay, can everyone just move? <laughs> you know, have, slow people, get out of the left lane. Let that be just a public service announcement that there's a, a fast lane and a slow lane. Just if you, if you happen to be out there and I'm behind you, right? I mean, how many times do you go, God, give me patience so I won't blow my top with whoever it may be, right? Give me patience when someone is doing something in a way that is not the way I would do it, but it doesn't really matter at the end. Things seem to spiral out of control sometimes and we need patience. See, patience speaks of even-temperedness and refusal to be knocked off track by difficult times or difficult people. So Paul's not, he's not pulling any punches. He's being very clear with the Colossians and with you and I today. You want to live a life pleasing to God? Starts by bearing fruit. Grow in your knowledge of Him. Be strengthened to endure trials. And finally, he says, we should be giving thanks. 
That's the final participle in verse 12. He says, giving thanks with joy to God. This is what uh, uh, one commentator says about joy. The joy is the outward manifestation of the inner grace of the Lord Jesus. That's joy. And it's a distinctively Christian quality. Of course, we, we, we get it, right? We understand there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on current situations or extenuating circumstances. Whether it be situations or people, the circumstances must be good for us to feel good so that we can be happy. But joy, however, different. Joy is independent of circumstances or people. Here's another bit of knowledge for you. The most joyful epistle Paul wrote was Philippians. Guess where he wrote it from? From jail. He faced the possibility of being martyred for his faith. Isn't that strange? I mean, that's not normal at all. Which, by the way, Christianity has never claimed to be either one of those and neither has Scripture. God's word is consistent with this very thought that joy and suffering, they go hand in hand. Hardships, they're constantly linked. Look at James 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What? Romans 5, 3 through 5. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? It's so that joy leads us to giving thanks. See, it's about the attitude of gratitude that we have talked about before. We even sing it in our songs. That old song, right? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. This is the attitude that God desires from you and I. And God's word is consistent about that too. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Psalm 107. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness. Ephesians 520, always give thanks for all things. See, we know that God desires us to give thanks. But for what? And why? Well, the answer is going to be found in the remaining verses that we're going to be in this morning, 12 through 14. But have you ever met somebody that's just, they have a hard time being thankful? It's always a Debbie Downer, right? I mean, just always says, oh, you know, how, how can I be thankful when this is going on in my life? And, you know, that, that, that's often the, 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 the prevailing thought of mankind. You know, this is kind of, oh, to those people, and you simply ask, are you currently breathing? Are you currently here on this earth? I mean, do you start with the basics and have them turn that frown upside down pretty quickly, right? However, as believers, our thankfulness is different and should come from one thing. Yes, we have so much to be thankful for. We are a blessed people, and, and we could go on and on and on about that. But the thing that leads to true thankfulness and joy is knowing and understanding what Christ did for us on that cross long ago. 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul says this, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Coming off the heels of Christmas, you understand gifts. You no doubt received some pretty cool gifts. Over your lifetime, you can probably think back to the, the best gift you've ever received. But none can stand against the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for us on that cross. Nothing even comes close. Notice, however, that Paul doesn't just speak of the death of Christ, which alongside of the birth, the resurrection of Christ uh, being the most amazing, important things that have happened in human history. But he speaks about what that accomplished, what the death of Christ accomplished in the remaining verses that we're going to look at. Look at verse 12. He says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father, now he's going to give us a reason, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. So, so we're joyful. We give thanks because it says that we have been qualified to share in the inheritance. Not just any inheritance, but the inheritance of Jesus Christ, the Son. But we had to be qualified first. This is a word that commentators point out that has only been used twice in the New Testament. And it means this. 
to make sufficient, to empower, to authorize, or to make fit. Which means that if we needed to be made fit, we were unfit before we came to know Christ. If we were made to be sufficient, we were simply insufficient before. But, but who accomplished this? If you look back just a few more words, who is it? It's the Father. It's God Himself. But notice this term Father that Paul uses. I, you know, I want you to realize that you and I, we could not always call God Father. The word Father is a term of endearment, of honor, of respect. Yet we stood in complete opposition to Him before we came and knew Him. He was not our Father. He was our judge. He is the eternal judge. And what we did is we stood before Him guilty as charged. However... Here's the thing. Because of the amazing grace of God, we have not only been saved from everlasting punishment, but we have been adopted into the family so that by faith, we can come before Him with confidence and call the eternal judge our Heavenly Father. See, we could not qualify ourselves in our own efforts. We couldn't do enough. We couldn't go to church enough. We couldn't say enough prayers, right? We couldn't just simply try harder or be better. We were and are qualified because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, was the plan from the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. But what has he qualified us for? Look at it. To share in the inheritance in the kingdom of life. Of course, that, eternal, that, that, that inheritance is eternal life, as Jesus told us about in Matthew 19. And, and we will reign with Christ forever, as we see in Revelation 20. An eternity with Christ, where there is no more tears, no more suffering. And talk about riches. If you've ever read the description of the New Jerusalem, uh, and its walls in Revelation. It's simply breathtaking. And here is what uh, John MacArthur says about it. He says, God has by His grace qualified the unqualified, this you and I, to share in the inheritance. The Greek text literally reads, for the portion of the lot. Which means that we each receive our own individual allotment or portion of the total inheritance. See, even though the full possession of our inheritance is yet to come, it's on reserve for us in glory. That, 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 that word qualified is in the present, meaning it is already it is ours. It's just on hold for us. And what we need to do is endure, right? To hold up under that pressure of life. And when we cross that finish line, guess what's waiting for us? Our inheritance and eternity with Jesus Christ. How is all this possible? Look at verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He has rescued us, which means to liberate to save, to deliver from something or someone. And by the way, in order to be rescued, we must first have to have been in danger, in need of deliverance. Ephesians chapter 2 says that before we were rescued, we were dead in our sins. That's what we have been rescued from. Paul describes it as the dominion of darkness, as the NIV states, or the domain of darkness if you're in the New American Standard. Either way, that speaks of authority. The authority of darkness was, was that which we were under at that time. And that darkness is not just absence of light. It implies a complete opposition to the light. Which, of course, is further backed up in Scripture. Romans 5.10 says that we were enemies of God before He rescued us. So we go from enemies of God to sons and daughters of God, taking part in that inheritance. Because, as the Scripture says, we have been brought into the kingdom that's the word used for being transferred. It's, it's interesting about this word, to be transferred. This was a word used to describe what would happen when one people, way back in the day in old times, were being conquered by another people, way back in ancient times. They would be taken from one place, 
They would be brought to another place, meaning they were going to be reestablished from where they were to a new place, to a new country. They were transplanted, and guess what? They became part of that culture. So you and I as believers, we have been transferred from darkness to light, from being enemies of God to now being joint heirs with Christ, and it is all through the redemption, as verse 14 puts it, and the forgiveness of sin. Redemption means to deliver by payment or ransom. The Septuagint uses a similar word to describe the freeing of the Israelites from Egypt. We remember that, right? And it's the same thing you and I experience as believers. Ephesians 1 7. We have that redemption through his blood, through the forgiveness or trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So you and I, as believers, as ones who have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ on what he did for us on that cross, we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The price was high, but it was necessary. And because of that perfect, unstained blood of Christ, we can have what the scripture says, forgiveness of sins, which literally means a sending away. Of course, it reminds you of Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgression from us. doesn't get any further than that. Our sins are forgiven. They're taken away, and it's all because of the plan that God had through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. One commentator says this, Redemption, forgiveness. They're not exactly parallel or identical concepts, but by putting the two terms in opposition to each other, the Apostle teaches that the central feature of redemption is the forgiveness of sin. You and I have been forgiven, and we gloss over that so much, but you understand what that means. Understand just how much you have been forgiven. You see, this passage builds and continues to build. It starts off with some things that we need to to, to have taken care of. And and then realizing we should be desiring to to, to please God in all things. How do we do that? We bear fruit. Not in our own strength, but in God's strength. And through Him, we are strengthened. So that we are not to just try to survive or escape hard times. But we hold up onto that weight so that work can be complete. And we are thankful. We give thanks with joy. Why? Because we know and understand that God has taken us. You and I as unqualified as we were and qualified us we could share in that inheritance. How? Through the forgiveness of sins, through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when I read that passage and I hear what God has done for me and what he desires for me, it makes me want to walk out that door and be better at what I've been doing. To live a life pleasing to God. To to, to follow him in all things. To be fruitful. To be growing. To, to, to know Him more. How do I know? you got to be in the Word. There's no substitute for it. To be patient and thankful. I mean, isn't that what life is all about? Pleasing God. We get caught up way too often in pleasing other people, don't we? I want to close with a story. It's an old fable that has been passed down for generations. It tells about an elderly man who is traveling with a boy and a donkey. Any story is funny with a donkey. As they walked through a village, the man was leading the donkey and the boy was walking behind. The townspeople said the old man was a fool for not riding. So to please them, he climbed up on the animal's back. When they came to the next village, the people said the old man was cruel to let that child walk while he enjoyed the ride. So to please them, he got off and set the boy and the animal's back and continued on his way. In the third village, people accused the child of being lazy for making the old man walk. And the suggestion was made that they both ride. So the man climbed on and they set off again in the fourth village. The townspeople were indignant at the cruelty of that donkey because he was made to carry two people. 
frustrated man was last seen carrying the donkey down the road. <laughs> we listen to too much noise. Our culture is trying to tell you one thing. The Bible is trying to tell you something absolutely different. Who do we want to be? Do we want to be people, believers, that listen to what the world desires? Or do we want to be people that are true to the word of God and follow what he wants for us? And and, and, and living to please him as a church, as a body. What do we want to be? I know what God desires from us. And the direction that we need to go in is to live to please him in all things. Sounds simple, doesn't it? I mean, really, that's what I'm supposed to take. I'm supposed to live to please God. Okay, I I already knew that. Okay, you knew it, but are you doing it? I'm not doing it great, but I'm working and I'm trying and I'm trying harder. And together we can keep each other accountable to live, to please him in all things. That's what God had for us this morning. Let's pray. Our God, you have made things crystal clear to us this morning. You have made it clear that we are to desire, and not just desire to follow you, to please you, but to, to, to do it. To put one foot in front of the other. To listen to what your word has to say to us through, through your Holy Spirit, Father. Lord, your, your word speaks to us. We, we, we get that. We, we, we understand that we, in order to grow, we've got to be in that word. We've got we to gotta know you. And Lord, when we get into your word, we are given very clear direction. Some people think, man, just reading the Word is so confusing, but it couldn't be any, any more clear this morning. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. Lord, we thank you for the example that he is. We thank you for laying it on his heart and inspiring him to give us these words. Lord, as this Word has endured from generation to generation and will continue because of you. And so, Lord, I pray for strength for each one of us here. As we walk out of these doors, Lord, we have no idea what's about to hit us in the face as we walk out of these doors. But Lord, you do. And so we put our faith and our trust in you, and we simply want to live to please you. So give us strength to be able to do that. Give us the desire to be able to do that. Give us a desire to be controlled by the thing that fills us, and that is your Holy Spirit. I thank you for our gathering today. I thank you that we can come here in, in, in your name and to, to hear from your word and to worship. Lord, what an uplifting experience this is. But as, as Linda pointed out this, this morning, it's not about the feeling. It's about our knowledge and about our actions. So Lord, may we prove through our actions who we are and whose we are. Lord, I pray for each one here. I pray you dismiss us with your blessing. In your son's precious name, amen. Thanks, Jim, for an encouraging message. I know you couldn't uh, help but uh, hear that and be encouraged.